Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah Hickenbotham. Throughout these podcast episodes, we will speak to a range of individuals about their experience of eating disorders with the aim of increasing awareness and understanding whilst reducing stigma and isolation. Please note that the topics discussed in this podcast may be triggering for some individuals, so tread lightly, check in with yourself and reflect on these conversations. Today I'm joined by Livia Sarah. Livia is the founder of Live Label Free, where Livia works as a food freedom coach to support individuals with eating disorders to embrace their autistic characteristics in their recovery, rather than trying to change them. Livia joins me today to discuss the interplay between autism and anorexia, the treatment process and the impact of labels and diagnoses. Hello, Livia. Hello. Well, that intro, I'm absolutely (laughs) flattered and it makes me sound like I'm on such a pedestal, so thank you. Absolutely Um, amazing. (laughs) I'm so, so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me on the Full of Beans podcast. Yeah, it's it's my pleasure. I always, um, I write these introductions and then I don't really read them back, but obviously I send it to you before just for you to be like, oh yeah, that's fine or whatever. And then when I'm, when I'm saying it, I'm like, oh my God, if someone was doing this to me, I'd literally be like curdling in my seat. And then I kind of thought like, maybe I should start recording them before, but because I'm so used to doing it and then being like, hello, I, I just feel like it wouldn't work as well. Well, I like it because I, for my own podcast, the Live Label Free podcast, I always record the episode and then I record the intro after so that I could give like a recap of like what Mm -hmm. we cover in the episode, which I obviously can only know once we do the episode. But I think because there are several podcasts, you know, that you do, you hear the host read the introduction of the guest and you hear the guest being like, oh, Wow. Hey. Um, so I, I like both a lot and, and maybe it's just, it's something I should sh- start switching up on my podcast. But, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think everything's always changing, right? So we'll see what happens. But, um, yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for that lovely introduction. I did You're indeed welcome. see it in the email, but you know, you just skim over it. You're like, oh, oh the facts, just quick fact check. But then yeah. <laughs> indeed, when you say it like this, um, it's, it's like you're, welcoming me on to like this famous talk show (laughs) (laughs) well you know full of beans is that famous talk show yeah um i think i i I used to do a little recap as well but unfortunately with having a my full-time job and full of beans just being a hobby i don't have time anymore um but i definitely used to like doing that being like this is what we talk about today but now everyone just has to read the show notes so that's uh that's down to them but I would like to start, if we can, um, you mentioned your podcast um, and I mentioned Live Label Free in the introduction. So I wanted to start if you'd like to share what Live Label Free is all about. Yeah, well, that's okay. Where do I even start? Well, Live Label Free was kind of <laughs> my, let's just start with my account, um, my whole business, all passion project, whatever you want to call it, um, started very, very differently. It, it started, it all started on, on Instagram, um, as a foodie account, um, where I would just take pictures of my oatmeal bowls with artistic strawberries and peanut butter and just that had taken me like an hour to put together because of course I had used all of my eating disorder behaviors to measure my oatmeal and the peanut butter had to be the right amount and it had to be the right time. Um, and my whole, yeah, this whole 
thing, <laughs> I don't even know what to call it, um, started as just me starting to document my recovery from an eating disorder, I think back in like 2015, 2016. So almost eight years ago now, which is wow. just crazy to think about. <laughs> um, time flies, but at the same time, recovery felt like it took forever. Um, so yeah, so it started off as just me sharing my journey on Instagram through food pictures. And I was totally anonymous. I think my first Instagram username was like, Lil recovering B or something that just, I'm like, how did I even come up with that? Um, but it just started as like a food account and I didn't want anyone to know who I was. Like I made sure that no one from school knew me. Um, it was just like top, like I didn't even tell my family until like years later. Um, and slowly like over time, as I did make strides in recovery, um, I slowly started just sharing more about who I was and my username has changed so much over the years. I think it went from little recovering B to then little recovering foodie because I was like, I love food, even though now looking back, I'm like, I only loved food because I wasn't eating enough of it. Um, and then it went to little foodie in the kitchen because I didn't want to be recovering foodie anymore. I just wanted to be foodie in the kitchen because I was, of course, always in the kitchen because um, that is the way to be obsessed with food without actually having to eat food. Right? Mm -hmm. um, and then it transformed into, I think, simply balanced live um, because I didn't want to be in the kitchen anymore and I didn't want to be a foodie. And I was just so overwhelmed by recovery. I just wanted life to be simple and balanced. So I thought by attaching to this label, I could magically make my life simple and balanced. But of course, I learned that no external label or no external validation is truly going to change what's inside. Um, so eventually, I think it was 2020, no, 2019, I'm not sure, but re not even recently because we're like, um, this episode is coming out 2023, so I don't even know what I'm saying. <laughs> um, but Live Label Free was eventually just born out of really not the realization because it, of course, took me almost a decade to, to realize and learn that, that no external thing, nothing outside of you is, is going to change what's inside. Um, and for years, I, I mean, I had so many labels placed upon me from anorexic, depressed, OCD, perfectionist, um, by others, and then labels placed upon myself, uh, vegan. Now I'm vegetarian. Now I'm vegan again. Now I'm, I only eat whole foods plant based. I am an athlete. I'm all these things. I must be a straight A student to be good enough. Um, I am this. I am that. But all of these labels, um, just made me feel more restricted. Um, and, and the disc live label free was really born out of the discovery, like, I can only be me. I can only be truly free if I am label free. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, now kind of what I, what I'm all about is, um, teaching and, and guiding other individuals to, to live a life in which they do feel free and fulfilled. And because I do believe that any kind of restriction or limitation is rooted in labels, I just always come, come back to living label free and, um, in before 2020, um, it was all about living label free and being free from an eating disorder. But in 2020, I discovered I'm autistic. Um, and then the whole, uh, brand business, my vision 
took like a, a new another new turn um and yeah so i mean like i i always say i i feel like life is never static my brand is never static my vision is never static and the mission and um vision of live label free is constantly changing um but i do always come back to living label free because like i said i believe that any kind of limitation or restriction whether that be from disordered eating but also just in life and your capabilities as a human um you you truly unlock your full potential when you when you embrace the label free lifestyle so yeah there's kind of my very long-winded answer to that um so i did not expect it to be that extensive <laughs> no no that's that's really nice i think it's lovely to see your journey and kind of going through um you know the way that you put labels on yourself and other people put labels on you and then to actually realize you know all these labels are defining me and actually being quite restrictive because I'm not able to to live freely um and I guess something that I wanted to ask you in terms of labels and diagnosis and I think sometimes I I think eating disorders and then neurodiversity can sometimes have like a different um opinion about like diagnoses and labels and stuff like that and i think that diagnoses can be really good because you can be diagnosed and then you can be treated appropriately um but also i think that sometimes diagnoses and the labels can be bad like you said because it it gives you identity and you know you might say oh well i'm I'm autistic and then that becomes your personality or I'm anorexic and then that becomes your personality. And then I think the difference between them that I find is eating disorders we're trying to recover from. Um, You know, your treatment is to recover from anorexia. If we're going to use anorexia as an example, because that's what we're talking about today. Whereas autism, you're not, you're not aiming to recover. You're aiming to embrace it and use those traits and characteristics that you have to the best of your ability to thrive. So What's your opinion in terms of like labels and diagnoses there and sort of the contrast between eating disorders and neurodiversity? Yeah, I absolutely love, love, love that you brought this, brought up this topic. Um, because it's actually something that I, that I talk about in, in my book. Um, I'm wondering, um, can I read a snippet of my book that actually answers Hell yeah. this question? Okay. Absolutely. Well, okay. So I have, um, yeah, well, well getting stuck. inside a scoop. Yes. Um, so it's, <laughs> The questions, it's, I start off with asking, but Livia, isn't autism a label? Um, and then I go on to say, as one may wonder when it comes to my relationship with labels, isn't autism a label? It very much is, but so is everything. When I advocate for a label-free lifestyle, I am advocating for life without restrictions. I don't label food as good or bad because doing so would pressure me to restrict the bad foods. I don't label exercise as productive and sitting on the couch as lazy because doing so would propel me straight back into a compulsive relationship with movement. I don't label my emotions as negative or positive because all emotions are meant to be felt and suppressing unwanted feelings would lead to a buildup of internal stress. Just as different emotions have their time and place, so do labels. The way we communicate as a society is through labels. We make appointments based on times, go on vacations with literal flight tickets, and have allergen warnings printed on peanut-containing snacks. 
Without labels, society would not be able to function, and that's the very reason for using them. They optimize functionality and serve an important purpose. Similarly, my autistic label optimizes my functionality and serves an important purpose. It allows me to understand myself better, which allows me to show up as my best. Um, so, kind of, of course, the whole book is about this and the whole message. Um, but I think in this case, um, there's two types of labels, right? Is you have labels that can restrict you, such as um, bad foods, like because now I'm not going to eat. I don't know the donut over there because I deem it as bad and I've labeled it that way. Whereas those labels that, that help us function, right? So if I have peanut butter and like I have a kid with a peanut allergy, like it's very important that it's like contains peanuts because mm -hmm. this will help the family of, um, I don't even know why I just like refer to myself as a mom because I don't have kids. <laughs> Um, but like, if a mother has a kid with a peanut allergy, like she's obviously always going to look out for not, she's going to make sure she does not buy items with like an allergen warning for peanuts on it, because that will help her family function better and literally save the life of her kids. Um, so yeah, with, with the case of like eating disorders and autism, I think, again, um, I think it's so, so important to like, distinguish like between like, the person first language and the identity first language um mm -hmm. whereas like a lot of people who are neurodivergent um prefer like i am autistic or like i am adhd um similar to how people from like the lgbtq community will say like i am gay or i am queer not i am a person with queerness or i'm a person mm -hmm. with gayness or you see it in like culture culture and like heritage too like people say i am dutch or i am jewish or i am christian not I have Jewishness, like, you know, because they don't see that religion as like separate or they don't see that heritage as separate. Like they, that's their identity, right? But when it comes to eating disorders, something that was massively important for me in recovery from my eating disorder was to, to not, no longer say I am anorexic or I am a disordered eating because when we identify with a certain yeah, name or label, our unconscious mind will act in alignment with that label. So similar to how I now say I am a writer, by identifying with being a writer, I will take actions that align with the identity of a writer. So because I'm a writer, I write. Whereas if I say I am a disordered eater, I am anorexic, like my, I'm sending messages to my unconscious brain to behave in the way of someone with an eating disorder or of someone with anorexia. And that's the very thing you don't want to do because in the end, what recovery comes down to is creating those new neural networks in your brain. And the only way to create those new neural networks in your brain is to make your brain believe you are someone else, is to take actions that really change your belief system. And if you continue to identify with certain beliefs and a certain you identify with what you don't want to be, like, how do you expect yourself to ever let go of that identity? Um, so yeah, that's kind of my answer again to that is that, um, whenever you are using a label, um, and you're like, Oh, should I use this label or not? I think it comes down to that, that question about intention is like, is this restricting me or limiting me? Am I using this to 
like protect myself, you know, from overeating or all of the things that are eating disorder convinces us to be afraid of? Or am I using this label to actually help me to function better? So I was like saying, if I can tell people like, I am autistic, so I don't want to come to the party or I um have difficulty in social way- social situations because I'm autistic, like, even though they may not understand autism, like, to the extent that an autistic person will, because I always say, like, if you don't have lived experience, like, you, you don't really understand. Um, same with eating disorders. Like, the most annoying thing for me when I was in treatment was when I would tell someone about my experience and a therapist, and they'd be like, I understand. And I'd be like, do you have an eating disorder? Have you had an eating disorder? No. Well, I'm like, well, then you don't freaking understand. <laughs> um but but yeah so like in those cases of me saying um i don't want to do this or i have this preference because i'm autistic um just adding kind of that label like actually helps the situation function better because that person can then maybe be more understanding or compassionate towards my needs or desires yeah absolutely and i think what you just said there at the end actually um it's a really important thing for me that I'm trying to navigate at the moment. You know, when you are autistic, um, there may be certain situations like you mentioned, social situations that are difficult to navigate. And hopefully with support and help, you can learn how to navigate those. And if it's something that you have to say to people, actually, I'm not going to be able to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you for the invite, but not today, whatever. That's fine because you're sort of looking after yourself and doing what you need. But in the same instance, I think if you had an eating disorder and yeah. you were like, okay, my eating disorder doesn't want me to come to this social situation, and you message a friend and say, I'm not coming because of my eating disorder, blah, blah, blah. Right. That is a moment I would say, you know, as uncomfortable it is as it is, you need to challenge it because you're trying to recover from it. Make so it any easier, situation yeah. where the eating disorder is uncomfortable. Yeah. Any situation the eating disorder is uncomfortable, you know, that's where you need to sort of work on. Um so I think, yeah, that's a really good way of putting it in terms of how they're different is one your one is, you know, it is part of you. I think it's dangerous when you have it as the only part of you in terms of um your neurodiversity but an eating disorder is not part of you and I think like you said putting that attachment on I am anorexic that makes it so much harder to recover from because then you're you know it's already a part of your personality um just naturally because of the nature of the disorder absolutely so yeah and what you were just sharing actually reminds me of that post I think you did a couple days ago about I've been invited to all these holiday events and it made me really angry. Um, Mm -hmm. And then how you shifted it in the caption to like, I want to be able to go to these events. And it made me angry because it wasn't actually me who was angry. It was my eating disorder that is is afraid, you know, and that is exactly what you were saying about like how in that case, like not going to these events and being angry about being invited to these events is because your eating disorder wants to restrict and wants to be limited um and wants to limit you um was so i'm sorry if you can hear like a dog barking in the background no i can't um, but it all yeah the, <laughs> it's always very distracting for me uh typical autistic brain um see in this case it's like it helps people understand better <laughs> um whereas if yeah. before um and that's another thing that actually reminds me of like before i discovered i was autistic um like at home it was always whenever i was overstimulated by like people playing the piano or just my kids why am i saying my kids my sisters um 
<laughs> I don't know. I have like a, I was listening to an audiobook early, earlier today written by a mom. So I'm probably like <laughs> internalizing that somehow and make, taking on a new identity. No, I'm just yeah. kidding. Um, but whenever there was this, I would just overstimulate at home. It was always like, suck it up, Livia. Like, come on, you just have to deal mm-hmm. with it. Um, was when I got that autistic label, like people, with just so much more understanding and when i said like guys i'm overstimulated they'd actually like change and like help me in that case and i think again like that just shows like the label has not only helped me function better but like has helped my whole family function better too because Mm -hmm. they now know like oh actually livia isn't making it up like she's actually overstimulated um and I don't, oh yeah, and then what you were saying about like the, the label of like I am anorexic and why that keeps you stuck in the anorexia, I honestly think the same exact thing goes for the word or the term um recovery. Like if you are constantly saying I am in recovery, like how do you ever expect to be recovered if you're constantly identifying with I am in recovery because of course you're going to take actions that are in alignment with someone who's in recovery. So they may not be like as aligned with eating disorder actions, but eventually like the point of recovery is not to be in recovery. The point of recovery is to live your life. And that's why in like coaching with clients and, and just my whole vision again with live label free and no longer identifying with that label, I of recovery, I am someone who's in recovery is like saying like, how do asking yourself, how do I want to live? Like if you're in a situation where you're like, I don't know what to do right now, ask yourself like, what would the person who's like completely free, what would they do? Um, and, and then do that because again, it's, it's all about taking the actions that are in alignment with the person you want to be. And I think the, the how, how much longer you continue to say, oh, I'm in recovery, so this, like, you're still kind of having an excuse, right, to to not actually do the hard things, because in that, like, party example, you could say, oh, I actually can't go because I'm in recovery from an eating disorder, but it's like, that's actually just letting the anorexia or the eating disorder sneak in and mask itself by saying, yeah, yeah, you're just in recovery. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I just, I did just want to share that, because I think that that label in recovery can can be really restrictive actually um and it's a a topic that i haven't really seen or heard that much about um so i did just want to put that out there yeah no i completely agree i think that kind of label of in recovery keeps people in quasi recovery and i think it's it's just a way of your eating disorder kind of persisting because even if you're in recovery you know that you're still probably engaging in eating disorder behaviors because yeah. you're not fully recovered so right. um i think it's a way of kind of the eating disorder hanging on oh, um yeah. and i suppose whilst we're talking about recovery um something that i really wanted to speak to you about was your own recovery and i think you know there's there's a lot of research that suggests that um anorexia and autism can be a comorbidity that can be quite common um Mm -hmm. and i think it in my eyes it's quite difficult because a lot of the characteristics that are seen in autism can also be traits that people um kind of behaviors that people have in anorexia as well and i think going through recovery i can imagine is very difficult because like we've said before 
autism isn't something that you're recovering from, but anorexia is. So were there particular things that you found that were kind of difficult to separate out as in like, is this autism? Is this anorexia? Is this okay? Or do I need to kind of work on this? Well, the very interesting thing is that I was, I would consider myself almost fully recovered by the time I actually discovered I'm autistic. So I don't have Mm -hmm. the experience of someone going through treatment while or going through recovery while already knowing they were autistic. And for the very reason that I didn't know I was autistic, I think that actually prolonged the duration of my illness and prolonged my recovery because like you're saying, like I treatment professionals and I actually was trying to get rid of traits that were actually my autistic traits. So for example, like, um, being attached to numbers, you know, like for I've my whole life, I've been attached to numbers. I mean, I still attached to numbers, um, in, in a lot of ways, like what helps me function again, cause I think numbers again are a label is like by attaching time blocks and time limits to things. And as someone who is a business owner and is very, very passionate about the work I do sometimes can get so, so lost in the work I do that I will completely burn myself into the ground working. I mean, that's, I almost died last year due to, due to overworking myself. Um, and I think again, like for me, like setting time blocks for myself, like, oh, at this time you have to stop working and, and now it's your time to read a book or relax or do something like as hard as it is. Like I need to plan that into my schedule. Again, as ridiculous as that sounds for maybe people who are more, you know, party goers and relaxed and not as, um, yeah, not as I think. I don't want to say perfectionistic as us, but I think as like routine and schedule, just high achieving oriented, I guess. Um, I mean, you know what I'm talking about? Like there's people that are like, Hey, let's party every day. And the people that skip school and drop out and all these things. <laughs> um, I think f- for them, like it sounds ridiculous. Like what you need to schedule time to like have self care. Well, well, yeah, because, um, I think we, we can get lost in our work sometimes and, and just going, 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 and especially in the hustle culture and diet culture and all the things where you feel like there's so many expectations of you. Um, it's hard to stop. But anyways, long story short, um, that attachment to numbers, like, of course, in, in during my eating disorder that manifested like in every way it typically does in an eating disorder with calorie counting, macro counting, certain steps taken, a certain miles run. Um, like I couldn't eat before a certain time. I couldn't eat after a certain time. Like everything I like weighing my food, like everything I did, like was attached to a number in to some extent. And during the recovery from my eating disorder, the kind of goal with my treatment providers was like lead a life, like in which you don't attach numbers to anything. Um, but now like looking back, I'm like, wow, I think that actually harmed me more than it made things better because by like forcing me to attach dis detach numbers from everything i actually clung to a coping another coping mechanism for control which was my eating disorder <laughs> even mm. more right um so i think that that is one of the dangers of recover going to recovery as an autistic person and there not being enough awareness in the healthcare system for this comorbidity um and then another kind of thing i'm thinking of is like predictability right like as autistic people we 
I'm we I'm speaking on behalf on like the no divergent community like we have a really really hard time with with change and um we want to know things advance like that's the reason we have like so many structures in place and why we want to know plans in advance um and I think it it all comes down to trust right like we we live in a world that everything is constantly changing and nothing is predictable so it's really hard to trust um our our external environment because in the end what is trust it's it's knowing the outcome and because you can never know the outcome unless you've done the thing before you've engaged in the ritual before you've engaged in the routine before you you don't trust you don't yet trust the situation um so where i'm kind of going with this is like it's it's the same it can be the same with with eating disorders um in the case of like, if I was speaking about someone who only had an eating disorder and was not also autistic, and they, for example, wanted to look at a menu beforehand before going to a restaurant, like because they wanted to be able to plan like that they were going to get the salad with the dressing on the side and, you know, they, wanting to make sure that there's even a salad on the menu at all, right? Um, that in that case, like it would definitely be an eating disorder behavior because the intention behind the behavior is coming from a place of limitation mm. and fear and restriction. Whereas if you're autistic, um, actually no, seeing the menu beforehand and then saying, how can I use this trait of wanting to know beforehand to actually help me function better and actually help propel me forward in recovery? You could say, I'm going to look at the menu so that I can actually choose something that is a fuel food of mine, but by knowing that I'm going to tackle that fuel food ahead of time, it'll make it easier when when you're at the restaurant instead of mm. being at the restaurant, n n then only seeing the menu, getting stuck in analysis paralysis, and then choosing the default, which is the salad with the dressing on the side. And it's like, in that case, it would have been so much more functional and productive mm. to actually know ahead of time. Um, so yeah, I think this kind of brings me on to like that other another frequently asked question that I'm often asked is like, how can you tell the difference between an eating disorder behavior and an autistic trait? And I think it's my same answer as what I said with the labels. Like, are you coming from a place of limitation and fear or are you coming from a place of like, how is this going to help me function better? And how is this actually mm -hmm. going to make the situation more productive? Um, so I, I forget what your original question was, um, but it, it led me up here somehow. <laughs> no, I think you wonderfully answered my question. Um, it was talking about the, the different characteristics and, and how you navigated those in recovery. And I think you've, your examples that you've given have so beautifully kind of demonstrated that, you know, the traits in autism, um, when you're working with them, you know, like, having a schedule or having a timetable or something you're using that to optimize yourself you're using that yes. to better yourself you're using that to make the situation better um whereas with an eating disorder it's driven like you say by the eating disorder it's right. driven by restriction it's driven by following along with the rules that the eating disorder has yeah. and I think that's such a great way of of looking at it and even more so when you were talking about sort of the menu you know you're still yeah, even if you look at the menu beforehand with the autistic trait, you're trying to empower yourself and you're trying to have a have something that maybe is going to challenge you or, you know, even if it's not to challenge you, it's something that you're going to enjoy um, yeah. rather than 
checking it for the eating disorder to be like okay there's something safe here there's something that we can restrict with um yeah and you know we can still follow the rules so i think that's that's such a great way of of explaining the difference yeah yeah i'm so glad that you you totally like um summed it up in in such an eloquent way when like oh i totally remember why i went into into that path (laughs) um and i actually did want to add on to that about the menu and and seeing the menu beforehand how when i was in treatment for my eating disorder and at the time i didn't even know what autism was myself um and i actually have a, a line in my book um where i'm like talking with my therapist i'm having like a dialogue with her and i i just end that chapter with if i had known i was autistic our conversations would have probably been drastically different <laughs> um but you know hindsight is always twenty twenty, which is funny because I discovered I'm autistic in 2020. Um, but yeah, so I mean, that, that expression has like a special meaning for me, but I think it does for everyone because I mean, COVID happened in 2020 and um, all the things. Um, but yeah, anyways, when I was in treatment, every Friday we had restaurant outing and um, we wouldn't, we weren't allowed to know what restaurant we were going to un- until we, we were at the restaurant. Um, and I remember asking so, so often, like, can I please know where we're going? Like, it's making me so anxious not knowing. And I was always met with, you know, the expected. Um, that's your eating disorder who, that wants to know and wants control of the situation. But like in that case, now looking back, I'm like, wow, like I suffered like, exponentially more anxiety than I would have had to if I would have just known in advance. <laughs> um, and, and then that ties back to, um, like, us being in, in which state of nervous system we are, right? Cause like, um, if we're super, super anxious, you're in that like sympathetic nervous system, which is like your fight, flight, freeze mode, which actually turns off like halts and slows down digestion, which actually makes it harder to eat. Um, Mm. So I'm like, yeah, that's kind of really interesting how that's probably why the restaurant outing was so much harder for me because I was just so, so anxious because I didn't know beforehand. Um, So yeah, again, I think that kind of ties back to why it is so, so important that there is more awareness and understanding around autism in the world of eating disorders um because if you're a professional and you're treating people with eating disorders and don't know a thing about autism like you could actually be harming your clients and you could be harming your patients yeah yeah i think you're totally right but i I think it goes with all comorbidities to be honest um in terms of we need to be working as a multidisciplinary team i was literally having this conversation i was at a party yesterday with somebody and they were asking me about the podcast and um, we were talking yay. about and <laughs> <Yay. laughs> um, we were talking about how um so they work on a bpd unit and and she was saying you know i have no understanding of eating disorders and i was like that's shocking because i can imagine that bpd unit would have quite a lot of eating disorders but we seem to want to treat people we all have our specialties and we treat people separately. Um, and in my experience, you know, I've been diagnosed with anorexia, depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Nobody, nobody wanted to take me on board because they were like, well, you know, the mental health team, you've got an eating disorder, so you need specialist treatment. But then the eating disorder service is like, well, you've got depression and actually your weight's not low enough, blah, blah, blah. So we can't treat yes. you either. It's like, cool. Um, yeah, so I think we were, yeah, I think we were talking about this like in our pre-chat before, remember about, um, how before I was diagnosed autistic, I was diagnosed with OCD, anorexia, and depression. 
And then when I'd go to like an eating disorder center to be like, I want treatment, they'd say, oh, you also have depression? Well, go fix that first and come back once you yeah. recovered from that. But it's like, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> I'm a whole person. I'm not, yes. I'm not separate. And I found actually as well that um, I, the GP prescribed me antidepressants and that actually made my eating sort of so much worse because the depression was almost um, like a comfort blanket. It was like, yeah. you know, I was so kind of numb to my emotions that I didn't feel them. And then as soon as the antidepressants started working it was like oh my god there's so many emotions like suppress 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 and they did that through restriction so right. um but nobody checked in on that because there's not that understanding i i actually had the exact same situation the uh, experience with with medication um and it, it, mm. it was very mixed because here in in europe the in the u i don't know how it is in the uk but in the us it's very um as soon as you come to the doctor and you have your finger hurts. It's like, oh, here's, here's a pill for that. <laughs> it's always, here's a yes, pill for that, here's a pill for that. Yeah. And in, in Europe, I don't know. I mean, I don't want to make any claims because everyone's experience is very different. And it, of course, depends on like your GP and your doctors. Um, but here I found that, um, the culture is a lot less of a, like, let's immediately treat it with meds or a pill kind of thing. Um, and it's actually the opposite. Like here in Holland, like it, they often wait, uh, until you have like clear symptoms of a problem before they'll actually do any kind of treatment at all. Um, like in the US, um, we, I always had like a yearly checkup. Like you have to go to the doctor for your yearly check-in visit, but like here in Holland, like that doesn't even exist. Like you only go to the doctor if there's something wrong. When I was, um, in, in Holland getting treatment for my eating disorder, um, because I was at like a, a low weight, they refused to even give me medication because they're like, the medication won't work at a low weight. Whereas in the US, it was the complete opposite. Because when I was like at the exact same low weight, they were like, here's this antidepressant and here's this for your OCD and here's this for your anxiety. And it was just like five pills that I got like at once. And I was like, how come? Like I can be at this exact same low yeah. weight with the same behaviors. And in two different countries, it's like, the medication won't work and that's a guarantee and he was like oh you will not recover without medication and i'm like again that just like goes to show how like it's so subjective and like again the dangers of labels of like oh it's not going to work or it's a guarantee like no one's mm. nothing is ever a guarantee until after you've done the thing like the very definition of having proof is something that's been proven before yeah. so yeah it's just like i don't know <laughs> frustrates me yeah absolutely i think that's the difficulty it's it's very similar in the uk in that um everybody wants a quick fix so if, if yeah. medication's an option then they'll give you that but sometimes that's not the best approach to certain things i think you know in, in the case of depression for me it was really good to get me out of that hole to then be mm -hmm. able to engage in therapy um but for some things it, it, it's just not needed um so i guess whilst we're on the conversation of treatment if somebody is going for treatment for anorexia mm -hmm. are there particular parts of the treatment that you would adapt um if somebody's autistic or would you just kind of you know reinvent the wheel of how anorexia is treated for people with autism because of that sort of comorbidity um well first of all i think the the wheel of of eating disorder treatment in the first place needs to be reinvented <laughs> um because the way it's currently being 
being treated with the whole psychoanalysis model of, oh, your eating disorder is the result of some deep, dark, unfulfilled hole in your traumatic life as a child that you can't remember. Like, that's how I was treated. Like, you're not going to get better until you heal your wounds of the past. Or just, I mean, all this bullshit, honestly, because like, and I do not want to invalidate people who have had traumatic experiences that most likely triggered their eating disorder and mm -hmm. used like caused the eating disorder to be a coping mechanism. But in a lot of cases, um, I think the, the ultimatum in like, just eating disorder treatment is like you will not fully recover until you kind of discover what caused your eating disorder in the first place. And I think this is so, so problematic. And this is causing people to stay stuck for, for forever <laughs> because like you're never going to know the exact reason you got an eating disorder. Like because mm -hmm. there is no one reason. Like, yes, yeah. a traumatic event can trigger your eating disorder. Like I couldn't, I personally believe that like my parents divorce and just the toxic relationship and honestly emotional abuse I received from my father was definitely a trigger for me as a highly sensitive person to turn to something that I could control. Um, but I, but I think genetics, uh, just that aspect of eating disorders and anorexia be, having a genetic component, I think that often and just also being a biological illness, like, um, I'm sure you're familiar with the adapted to flee famine hypothesis, like, um, how, how this also actually, uh, contributes to just the continuation of the disorder, um, is that if you only focus, if you're solely focusing on like what caused the disorder, like, for, for the rest of your life, like, you can be looking for the rest of your life, and you'll still have an eating disorder for the rest of your life, like, if that's your ultimatum. But, like, I think treatment professionals should be focusing more on, like, okay, right now, this is your situation. You have an eating disorder. Like, it was, like, we can look at, like, maybe this was a contributing factor. We can look at what your triggers are right now, and really focusing on who do you want to be? Who are you as an individual at your core? And I think this also helps kind of take that holistic approach with the other comorbidities such as depression and OCD and anxiety and then really going from that place of like, okay, who do you want to be? And then setting goals in that way rather than let's discover the deep dark hole that triggered your eating disorder because it's like, mm -hmm. okay, you can know what that hole is, but you'll still have the eating disorder, <laughs> right? So yeah. it's like about taking actions that like actually – help you come closer to your future self, to the person you want to be, rather than also, oh, what also so frustrates me in treatment is like, don't you want to be, go back to the person you were before you had an eating disorder? I'm like, the last person I remember being before I had an eating disorder was a 10-year-old girl who had, who was just trying to fit in. I'm like, I, hell no, I never want to be that person. Like, I'm an adult yeah. now. <laughs> um, and also, I developed an eating disorder because I felt that there was something wrong with that person. And I think exactly. recovery is, you grow and change so much, um, you know, and hopefully for, for the better through recovery. Of course, I don't want to go back. Yes, I want to go back to the freedom that I felt like I had maybe in, you know, around food and stuff. But I don't think that's going backwards. I think that's going forwards. Yeah. And I mean, if you're going to become the person you were before you got an eating disorder, like you'd get an eating disorder all over again mm. <laughs> because that's why you got an eating disorder in the first place because that person who you were needed this coping mechanism or whatever. Um, so yeah, that's, I think, what should be changed about just the eating disorder 
treatment approach in general. And of course, this also goes for if whether or not someone is autistic. But I think if there's also this component of, of autism, I think, first of all, top priority for all eating disorder professionals is educate yourself on autism because you need to be able to recognize it. You need to be able to understand it. You need to be able to accommodate it. And you can only do this if you have at least some extent of understanding of of the condition. Um, and then also, I think what's really important for professionals when they do know someone is autistic or they do suspect it is to ask this individual, but again, this goes for people that aren't autistic either, what do you need? What would make this treatment more helpful for you rather than making assumptions, rather than saying, oh, you're using that behavior? Well, that's because you're trying to fill an emotional void. Or, oh, you're, you're turning to food for comfort? That's because you emotionally feel unfulfilled in your family life. I mean, like, if you're going to be telling these people, like, what what the professionals think like i actually that caused me to like learn like this new secret language just to get myself out of treatment because i was like oh i know that if i say this and this and this then they'll be like yay bravo olivia you like you you finally know what's what's the issue now we'll discharge you right which which was just a way for my eating disorder to be like haha i manipulated them now i can just go back to everything because i'm no longer in treatment <laughs> um so yeah, that I'd say, um, again, ban the phrase, I understand from your vocabulary if you don't have a lived experience, because you won't understand if you don't have lived experience. And then, um, I actually think, sorry to, to yeah, go in, ahead. I actually think the phrase, I understand should just be banned full stop, because oh, even yeah. if you have lived experience, it's still not the same experience as the no. person sitting across from you. And, you know, we, you and I have both had anorexia our experiences have been completely different so yeah. I think you can empathize and you yes. can say you know I you know I, I hear you and things like that but right. whenever somebody says I understand what you're going through I, I honestly want to just like smash something so I'm like no you don't and stop trying yeah. to minim minimalize it yeah yes the minimalization I think and I think our eating disorders do that too right when we say like oh we're not sick enough because that person mm. is X weight lower than me. That we're like, oh, another thing that makes me so mad are the what I eat in a day videos. I'm like, this because like for me personally, like when I was going through extreme hunger, for example, like you know, you you looked for I looked for external validation of like, is this is this not just me? Like, am I not becoming a binge eater? Am I not swinging to the other side? Um, that I would go on like YouTube and be like, full day of eating, extreme hunger edition, and then I'd be like, but my extreme hunger is like way more food than they're eating. So I guess I my extreme hunger is too extreme. But then it's again, like, mm -hmm. maybe you're feeling like this is wrong because extreme, like too extreme, like these are labels, right? Oh, you, <laughs> um, and, and it just is a breeding ground for comparison. Um, but then coming back all the way to your original question of like, how can you make treatment more accommodating for, um, autistic individuals is I definitely think, um, like that predictability aspect, um, of like, for example, the restaurant outing and the menu situation, like that would be a really good example of like, this would look different for people who are autistic um and of course if they are if they're in a unit with other people that are not autistic um it would it would definitely be kind of tricky and you couldn't of course have everyone there be like oh 
he used a menu because people who are not autistic could use that maybe like just purely from an eating disorder perspective. So it's a really, really tricky situation because the overlap is often very nuanced. Um, but, but to understand, you know, better how you can help an individual is again to, to ask that individual, what do you need? What would help you? And, and of course, going from, the assumption that the individual is is there because they actually want to recover, like like hope, um, assuming that that individual will be brutally honest, and and that is of course up to the individual themselves. Um, and this is like a whole another rabbit hole of of topics. Is that I think it's very important as a professional to first establish with your client or with your patient, do you actually want this? Do you want to recover? Because if their answer is no, then it doesn't matter what you do or you work on, but no one else can recover for you. Um, only, only you can do that. And, and that starts with actually wanting to change. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just going back to what you were saying about the, what I eat in a day videos, I think the problem I have with those is most people that do them, I assume, well, you know, from what you see in them are restricting themselves. They're on very restrictive diets, but it doesn't show you the full picture because, you know, one, like you've said we all need different amounts of food um so some of us need less than others some of us need more it depends on what you've been doing the temperature literally right. anything it, it's so anything, individual yeah. um and it doesn't it doesn't show you you know like the i don't know the random hand of crisps that somebody has or yes. like the little nibble of things it's it it really it's so um restrictive in terms yeah. of that um, and also, I think you've made a really good point there in terms of um, the way that treatment needs to be sort of um, tailored for autistic people is that it just treatment just needs to be individualized. And, exactly. you know, with the whole menu thing, you know, that's not easy. You know, me and you, if we were in a treatment center, would need completely different approaches to care. Absolutely. But yeah. that's because we're individual. So. Right by providing the individual care we've got different experiences we've got different you know things that kind of impact us and stuff like that and and they need to be tailored to we can't just it's not just you know people um that are autistic that need that individualized mm -hmm. care it's everybody yeah no absolutely i mean i couldn't agree more and and that's why i i kind of kept coming back to like whether you're autistic or not because mm -hmm. again like also with with the comorbidities such as like depression and ocd or anxiety or in the case that someone has had a traumatic life event and is suffering suffering from ptsd like even going to a certain restaurant where maybe they experienced the, the traumatic mm -hmm. event like that definitely so so harmful for that person whereas for another person it's like Oh, that's my favorite restaurant. Let's go. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I mean, it, it all comes back to, and again, with the what I eat in a day videos, um, that too, it's like everything comes down to individualization. Um, yeah. and labels again come down to individualization too, because for one person, the exact same label can be, um, for two different people, like the same label can be either destructive or productive. Um, and I just wanted to note something on what you said about the, what I eat in the day videos and the people who make them. I'm like, you're so right. Like if, if someone was not obsessed with food because they weren't restricting, they would not want to waste their time filming every little thing they eat in a day. <laughs> I'm like, mm -hmm. actually, that's so like the behavior itself of filming the what I eat in a day is disorder. <laughs> 
Um, yeah. So, yeah. Anyways, um, somebody that has a good relationship with food does not need to take a picture of it when it comes out at a restaurant to put it on their Instagram. Yeah, um, exactly. As, 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 as like you said, when you were watching those videos, it's external validation that you're, you're doing something right. Um, well, thank you so much. I think that's been such a wonderful conversation. Um, where can people find out more about you um if the book is out after this then we will obviously um keep in touch and put all yes. the details when it comes out for people because after reading that little snippet i definitely want to read it oh i'm so glad i'll, I'll have to send you some more snippets <laughs> um definitely just for, just for you um but but yeah um where people where people can find me is everything is is really on my website livelabelfree.com um and i actually do have currently like you can actually sign up for my book waitlist um so you can find that at livelabelfree.com forward slash book so that's super easy to remember um and anyone on that list like will be notified either way of when my book is coming out um and if you're on that list you'll also get like access to pre-launch bonuses and exclusive like um book um you'll get like input on like what the cover will look like or what font i'll use and all that kind of stuff so that's kind of fun um i also have like a lot of free resources on my website so i have a blog i have my own podcast which again you can find it via my website um and i also have um uh, about a 45 minute audio training um for autistic individuals in recovery from an eating disorder um so you can download the free audio training called um three steps to recovery from an eating disorder as an autistic person very aligned <laughs> um and then yeah i mean i have coaching um my course um and yeah, like I said, I have my Instagram, Live Label Free, but everything is pretty it pretty on brand and can be found through my website. So yeah, I mean this I cannot believe how fast this time has no. flown by, <laughs> but I just really, really enjoy talking to you and talking to your audience. Um sometimes it's hard to remember that this is like a one-sided conversation <laughs> um when we're like talking to all these people listening right but we don't yeah. know they're actually listening um but i mean i we wouldn't be doing this if we didn't love communicating with our audience so thank Absolutely. you for allowing me to share my story and share some insight and um we'll we'll definitely have to put on a date on the calendar for you to be on the live label free podcast um absolutely because i think there's so much wisdom you can share with my audience um which i'm sure both of our audiences in some extent are already overlapping but um still yeah if you enjoyed listening today you won't want to miss next week's episode so be sure to subscribe Eating disorders are crippling illnesses, but with the right support, they can be recovered from. We really hope you enjoyed this episode, but if you require more support right now, please look into charities such as First Steps and Beat for support or talk to someone you trust.